Thank you for tuning in to Left Chest. Anders Lee here with Raghav Mehta. Alex Patak is out of town, so we are joined by Andy Palmer. Hey, Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Uh, Friend of the show. He also is on our sibling podcast, Democracy Later. It was called a sister podcast. You ain't shit. Well, we're both uh, (laughs) left-leaning casts, so we have to be in solidarity with one another. We also record in the same apartment. No one was on board with my beef. With the same equipment. (laughs) Yeah. My coastal beef. (laughs) My full coastal beef. My way of beefing is just to react with a blank face and shut it down. (laughs) <laughs> which yeah, i find yeah. is the ultimate like if sean says something on our podcast that just pisses me off i just like shut out his jokes for a good 10 minutes mm. and that'll break him mm, yeah sean's great. a delicate flower yeah who will wilt at the sight of indifference they always say the uh there's a spot in hell for the punsters right next to the mimes I invented that quote, actually. Uh, Did you? Thank you for quoting me. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm seeing right now. Raghav Meta coined that one. Uh, machines, security, surveillance, etc. right? But enough of that, guys. Let's talk about our boy. Yes. Andy Palmer, our boy. <laughs> no, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, of course. Uh-huh. The boy, as some would put it, shocked the world Thursday. Uh, for the world that was paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys remember late April, Theresa May declares this thing. Uh, of course, in retrospect, my little ounce of hope is a lot bigger. Um, but I, you know, always thought there was a chance he could do it. But at the time, 24 points down did not look good. You guys remember your reaction to that? Yeah, uh, it was generally like we all just were like, oh, well, guess he's fucked. Like, I, I honestly expected him to face a landslide defeat and then just the Parliamentary Labor Party finally, like, would walk into the room with massive erections and be like, <laughs> it's done, Jeremy, you're out. With and box masks and tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember we were here actually, uh, where your uh, your abode, and I remember I wasn't I wasn't as devoted to the election as you guys, and so I was watching the results come in. I'm like, you guys, it's uh, it's happening, and you guys, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, well, you're like a little more cynical about it, but uh, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise for me too. Yeah, I mean, I still I, I am cautious though because you know I remember that night we were like, oh fuck, he's gonna be the next prime minister. And it's mm. there is a good chance that is the case, but um, he's already campaigning. Yeah, so like, they might, but they might hold an election what in the fall, right? I I guess, yeah. I mean, it looks like well, the Good Friday Agreement. Theresa May is blowing up the Good Friday Agreement by bringing in the uh, DUP, DUP, and that's pissing off the Catholics in Northern Ireland, and then so that could lead to violence, unfortunately, and then yeah, just complete instability within the within the parliament right which is obviously an untenable situation but there's no telling what could happen between just as unpredictable as the rise of corbin was something else another shoe could drop you never know so i'm i'm not i'm holding my breath till he's actually in 10 downing street signing some not even till after that you know because if he gets in there i feel like these people who have been denouncing him for two years now, they might not cooperate with what he wants to do. And that's something we were talking about a little bit before is like the parliamentary labor party last year 
was giving votes of no confidence. They were they're putting Jeremy Corbyn in a room and basically one by one uh, giving their little diatribes about why he should never have gotten in this position, why he doesn't deserve to lead the party, all that stuff. Of course, now they have some egg on their face. That was my favorite part of election night was that yeah. they would get these like labor like parliamentary labor party people who just like barely won their seats and they would like put them up in front of the BBC and be like, all right. So you called Jeremy Corbyn, a fucking wanker shit pile <laughs> who's uh, not fit to lead a bag of bollocks. Uh, now that your job depends on him, do you still feel that way? <laughs> you said Jeremy Corbyn should be run out of town on a donkey. Yeah. I mean, the with Alistair Campbell, who is the inspiration for the character from In the Loop and uh, In the Thick of It, Malcolm, I forget his last name, but he, I saw an interview with him and they asked him straight up, were you wrong? He just dodged it. He just like, yeah, yeah. he just like pivoted again until, uh, to like how he's still critical of Corbin for not, like he's like, even though they did better than we expected, we still have to be critical. It's like, why are we listening to this guy? Why we do call these people- that the Nigel Farage. Yeah. <laughs> he's basically David Frum. I think, I think Campbell is probably the most angry that he might have to face war crimes charges under a Corbin government. Which, do you think right. he, do you think he's really that afraid of that happening? I think it, it would at least be a renunciation of his legacy. Like a very decisive renunciation of his legacy. Yeah, well, it's, see, what's interesting? I was looking at uh, some of the stuff he's written today, and I remember, and there was an article that was like, "This was the problem with new labor," and I was like, "Oh, okay, so maybe uh, Alistair Campbell's critical of what Blair did and all that stuff." And uh, I click on the article, and it's basically criticizing Tony Blair for being too soft on immigration. Oh, so, just so going Blair by, wasn't racist enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's, and that's one of the things I run into with people here, largely, is this notion that's very pervasive and that's we're starting to chip away at, but uh, that you have to tack to the right to get elected, is you have to appeal to baser instincts. You have to appeal to uh, the quote-unquote common wisdom about politics. And Corbin disproved that this time, and hopefully more examples of this are to come. But I just I just remember talking to somebody who was from Nebraska, and he was saying to me, like, look, I'm from a red state. I'll take anybody we can get. I'll take any Democrat we can get. And that strategy has failed politically because, you know, if you look at 2006, 2008, you got a lot of these blue dogs in office in the United States, and they prevented Obamacare from being like a robust thing, the stimulus package from being, you know, they made it into tax cuts, basically. And then they all, they were also socially conservative, too. They got the Stupac amendment in there, and then they lost. So yeah. it's like they're bad on and, policy. And they're also they, bad on poli- on getting elected. They kept losing, and then they lost a few more times, like at every single level of government. Yeah. Just this rolling denunciation of like their 2006 coalition. <laughs> right. And that's something I think I the, the Blairites and the party the centrists should be confronted with more is like, okay, what do you think would have happened if the labor leader was someone who was like pro cuts, pro spending cuts, pro uh, austerity? I don't know. I think, I think uh, 
human charisma vacuum owen smith would have really <laughs> brought uh, the fire to the campaign trail and we would have a new harry potter series finally <laughs> yeah. yeah we'd have had a happy jk rowling uh who did not seem so happy she was not she uh you know we we on election night we uh were looking at her her tweets and um she did have one that was like hey maybe i was wrong or maybe people were wrong which is a very vague thing about sometimes people being wrong which she may or may not identify with kind of then she comes out with this very long twitter um storm twitter storm yes tweet storm is there a better word than tweet storm there's not i tweet just couldn't flurry i couldn't find it in my yeah well it was a tweet, it, right it was a drizzle um uh, it had tweet like 15 posts or whatever but uh i'd like to i think of it as a spill a tweet <laughs> it's spill just, it's not as uh it's not quite as powerful as a storm. A tweet secretion. <laughs> yeah, That's tweet what it is word. when Eric Garland does it. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Kurt Eichenwald. Or Kurt Eich- yeah. A tweet dump. Uh, yeah, sorry I was late today, guys. I was looking at my tentacle porn. <laughs> I got a huge boner right now. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Anders. A tweet spell. I couldn't she even, was in a tweet spell. I couldn't even name like an article Kurt Eichenwald wrote. Like He's just known for being a dipshit on Twitter, pretty much. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I don't understand how these people have time to write articles. Yeah. Like, they're so, like, I don't understand how the left has time to do anything most of the time, because they're, like, constantly subtweeting and mocking shitty takes all day. I'm like, what do you, do you guys have jobs? Well, we've, <laughs> we've, we've all seen Virgil Texas in the wild, and he is he is glued to his phone. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Which, good for him. I, I'd yeah. love to live that life. But, yeah. uh, well, I feel like that's... We're the party of labor. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's part of like so if you work at like BuzzFeed or someplace like that, they probably require you to tweet a certain amount of times a day or something, you know. That's true. Like Piss Pig Granddad, uh, when he was fighting for YPG, like and he was tweeting, like at a certain point it's like, I just want to take down my Twitter and then his commanding officer was like, No, this is good propaganda. Keep tweeting with puppies. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how democracy crumbles, everybody. <laughs> that's uh, how democracy tweets in darkness. <laughs> but the the hottest of takes, of course, was that Corbin was going to blow it. Not the case, uh, fortunately. But I guess what my, something I've been grappling with is like how much accommodation can he really give to these people who have been trying to sabotage him from the start? He he said uh, on Sunday he said he's like the most generous person in the world was his uh, quote, and he's been very nice to these people who have been trying to like oust him for two years now. Is that and that's something I'm actually kind of concerned about? Is that he is too nice? To people in the Labor Party who are in the same party but just don't have the same conviction or views, really. I think it's calculated. Yeah, yeah. On one hand, like, I, I, I would definitely want to see them kicked out of the party. Uh, on the other hand, it, it's totally necessary because, like, if he, ju- if he kicked out all the Blairites, like, the party would just kind of shatter like that it's it's a very it's a weak coalition or it's a very like tenuous coalition but it's a necessary one because the parliamentary labor party is still the majority or the blairites are still the majority of the parliamentary labor party he did though right after the elections were called propose having an internal basically primary election um but i think that got killed just because there wasn't any time Mm. but it was kind of like a strike against the parliamentary labor party was like okay well let's see how you guys stand against yeah. your constituents well yeah and the, and even if 
he did go down in flames uh, this past week. He still probably would have been re if they had tried to challenge him as labor again, as leader again. He probably would have sustained his his hold on the on leadership. So there's this huge disconnect between the PLP and then the grassroots of the Labor Party, who overwhelmingly support Jeremy Corbyn. And in some ways, the the challenge he got back in September was a good thing because it kind of disciplined those people and said, like, look, this is this and, is who's in charge. And, and, you and have it's to- what attracts people to candidates like that. You know, there is this kind of uh, wolf in sheep's clothing strategy to similar to what Sanders did too, in that he didn't run negative campaigns. He didn't attack Hillary on uh, certain issues and it was just pushing uh, these certain policies to the forefront. And uh, do do you disagree Anders? Yeah, but because I think that's a big part of why he didn't win the primary is because he was, he refused to go negative at first. And then when he did, it was so like half hearted that like, Nobody could really get behind it, and it didn't really sway anybody. It also I, looked kind of bitter. Yeah. I also don't know if he thought he would get that far, either. That's I, I, true. You know, yeah. I don't think he thought that at all. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I don't buy into this like thing that he says, which I don't know if he fully believes. I, I mean, he says he never has run a negative campaign ad, and that he doesn't do negative. He didn't at first, at least. Yeah. Right, and he, he still he avoided um, doing negative ads, which I think I, there is some merit to. Like people are saturated with these advertisements, and it's just like one negative thing after another. Maybe they're not going to listen to it. But in the debate, I don't know how this wasn't floated. I, I'm sure it was floated in like the campaign meetings and stuff. But there is a picture of Hillary Clinton at Donald Trump's wedding like embracing him with bill right behind her how do you not mention that i guess if you have like 10 over 10 different appearances with this person like where you get to debate them how do you not confront them with that huge like black eye you know like the, she raised money from this guy who as a racist not only did he do the birther thing but there's plenty of like evidence going back to the eighties and even before that, that he's like discriminated against black tenants. He took Central out that Park article, five. Central Park five. Yeah. yeah. Like he's a racist. He's always been a racist and you shouldn't be raising money from him. And if you, if you want to win a primary, then you have to point that out. I don't know. I just, I don't understand why they didn't do that. I think That's part fair. of it was that he didn't, I think Sanders mostly drew the line at personal, like the, with the, Closest distinction being like the the Goldman Sachs speeches, where you can make a good non-personalized argument that those have financially compromised Hillary Clinton and the fact that she wouldn't release them. That was especially sketchy. But then when you go into like her personal friends and connections, then those things become even murkier and you kind of become the person who's attacking Hillary Clinton's personal life, which then makes him very easy to tie to the right wing where that's their favorite thing to attack. Is her personal life. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of me is like, just go for it. You know, like her her son-in-law works for Goldman Sachs. Like, uh, but yeah, like I understand if you're. Oh, yeah. But she's it's also piece. that the right wing is going to jump on on all sorts of bullshit anyway. Which too. they did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they They're they going to call her like a gay prostitute. 
uh, the first chance they get. <laughs> right. It's not it's not even the right wing. It's that he would alienate people who are kind of on the fence about her, but then would associate Bernie with right wing personal attacks. Yeah, I think was what he was trying to avoid with that. But maybe he would have won if he had done that. And then, you know, do you guys, be. Do you guys re- and it's funny when that stuff does happen, because uh, those people do get squashed right away. And it's not even the Democrats aren't even the people to squash. Like, remember, um, God, what's his name? Alan Grayson from Florida. Yeah. And he, he was running for a second term in Congress one year against his Republican opponent. Taliban Taliban Dan. Dan. Yeah. Yeah, He ran a Taliban Dan ad, uh, (laughs) like equating him to, uh, to, to the Taliban at one point. And he was just, he was ruined after that. He was denounced and ruined. Oh, because he went too too vicious. Yeah, no, no yeah. one's going to tolerate that. Like, no, yeah. li- liberals are so concerned with their perceived goodness yeah. that they're not. Yeah, they're not going to put up and with that shit. Why, that's one of the most important distinctions between Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn is that Corbyn definitely had a very strong mandate among the grassroots of the the Labor Party among Labor Party membership. Bernie Sanders, you know, obviously, I think he should have won the primary. But he didn't, and at the end, there were some, of course, some dirty tricks played by the Clinton campaign, the DNC, but at the end of the day, he did not get enough votes. And so I do believe that if you voted for Hillary Clinton, you are somewhat to blame, and like that was a very bad decision. Uh, It's a a nice spin on the the Stein argument. Yeah. Yeah, yeah where you right. they were spoilers. Right. And that's what I remember in, in a year ago saying like, okay, you're obsessed with polls. How about these ones that say that Hillary Clinton is the least electable nominee in American history? Like, oh, well, that can't be counted because of X, Y, and Z that I've like decided right, to, right. you know. I, I imagine it was confusing for electorate, especially because like she was basically coronated and we were treated like she was going to be our president. And I know I'm not breaking new ground with this, but like I went back and I, I did a search. I did a Google search for, uh, independence, Bernie Sanders. And it was the first two that came up were five thirty eight articles. And the first one was from April, 2016. And it said, uh, Bernie Sanders is the most popular among independents. And then the second one was from May, 2016. And it said, why Bernie Sanders is not popular among true independents. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which was like, a, you know, in some ways was a pivotal moment during the election. I mean, I guess Super Tuesday had already happened, so it didn't matter that much. But that was the bullshit they were feeding everybody. Right. That's, that also seems like the 538 thing where it's like every single thing is kind of hedged in every which direction. And then they can be like, well, we're right on that one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like stocks, right? Yeah, you just throw yeah. a bunch of money in, and uh, you might hit a jackpot somewhere, and you'd be like, "Hey, I, I, I made some money. I'm doing well." Yeah, and if you're well connected, you'll win every time anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's why everyone should invest in Wall Street, kiddos. <laughs> that's what we're here to preach. Uh, do we want to get into some of the very reasoned uh, and? productive liberal reactions to mm, Corbin's yes, rise. The Atlantic. We got this Atlantic piece from Todden and this is what stuck out to me. If he says if the election had been decided based on enthusiasm rather than votes, Corbin would have cleaned up. The British left's grievances with the centrist wing of the Labour Party are nearly identical to the progressive complaints about Clinton. 
under the Democratic Party. Under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, labor distanced itself from those floundering at the bottom of the economy, fixating instead on the upper, middle, and managerial classes. So in this article, he is acknowledging all the momentum was behind the Labor Party. And exactly what was wrong with the Blairites. And then he was like, you just assume the next part is to be like, and here's why it's okay that they ignored the poor. Yeah. And then in the following paragraph, he says, but Corbyn, in some disturbing ways, is more like Trump than he and his supporters care to admit. More like anyone cares to admit. Uh, the Western world so far seems incapable of nominating an anti-establishment populace without resurrecting ghoulish attitudes once considered extinct, like a zombified T-Rex bubbling up out of the tar pits. This seems like whenever like a pundit sees a large crowd, they just have to draw like in front of a politician, they just have to draw a comparison to Hitler. Like it's a nature <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's the Godwin's law of think pieces. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My well, grandmother actually saw Hitler. No, oh, yeah. yeah. on the street. You would yeah, she was in Germany. Well, she was in a park <laughs> in Germany in like the twenties or thirties. Wait, you're serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She Hell yeah. and she claims that she was standing the, the length of her oh guys arm if you could see him. anders arm movements she, right yeah, now she's <laughs> while he's gesturing where hitler my was my grandmother saluted hitler she didn't know what was going on she was just everybody was doing it she didn't know who this guy was the thing with the jews got out of control <laughs> yeah. before she's not a fan irish catholic lady she would have been in trouble but uh she saluted hitler and uh you know she may have been swayed by corbin i don't know yeah what's she uh, up to now uh, she's in heaven, probably. Oh, good. Where she has had it up to here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With this Corbin bullshit. Yeah. Uh, uh, for those listening at home, I did a very tasteful joke. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it also highlights just like their contempt for the larger electorate, too. Yeah, the unwashed masses. Yeah. It's, they're not, they're not elites. They're not, you know, deep thinkers like writers at the atlantic they they don't they haven't studied foreign policy or gone to georgetown Mm -hmm. so this is something um the guardian which has been really bad uh ever since corbin was elected leader before that when he started seeming like he could be elected leader uh they're one of their columnists Polly toynbee who has been really pretty nasty to, to to old jezza today she wrote this very nice piece saying how like they had they had lunch or something and he seems like a nice fella but just a couple days earlier this this is like a pivot from a couple days earlier where she writes uh after the election there was nothing airy fairy about labor's manifesto hard-headed true electoral cynicism and calculation in corbin and john mcdonald's offer Promised to keep shoveling cash into pensioners' pockets regardless. How do you catch the attention of the young? Get them out of bed and in the polling booth for the first time? Yes, with a better vision, but also with a colossal eye-catching bribe of free tuition fees for all, however wealthy, never mind the sums. So basically, she's showing her true cards as a conservative. You know, these people um, don't want to seem this way, but... at the end of the day, it seems like their beliefs, they've, they've kind of bought into the neoliberal vision of the world that humans are just lazy pieces of shit that need to be uh, whipped into shape and uh, sent to their mundane jobs. You'll also want to fuck with Trangate. What's Trangate? 
Trangate was uh, beautiful. Um, it was Corbin's first uh, gate controversy. Mm. It was so the uh, Virgin Railways basically took over the nationalized railways uh, when they were privatized, and he rode on a Virgin train when he was running for his reelection as um, head of the party. And uh, one of his aides took a video of him because he wanted to sit next to his wife, but there weren't any two seats together, so he had to sit in the aisle. And basically, the video was just him saying, uh, well, this is pretty common in the UK. You know, people have to end up sitting uh, on the ground on the trains. And unfortunately, that's just the way things are. And it was, of course, a jab at, you know, Virgin Railways. Yeah. And basically a thing like, I'm going to nationalize the trains and fix this shit. Yeah. After that came out, Virgin Railways tweeted a picture of inside the train car. And they tried to, like, get uh, from, like, security cameras uh, to show him walking past empty seats even though they had like tickets on them they claimed like oh jeremy walked past empty seats to make a fake point and even like richard branson you know the cool billionaire who goes parasailing with obama was like tweeting this shit and then everyone was like it's actually illegal to use that footage and also there were no two seats next to each other that were free that's why he wanted to sit next to his wife. But it was it was just a very obvious <laughs> example of like a corporation, even, you know, cool hit billionaire parasailer Richard Branson trying to like take down someone who threatened their business very transparently. And it got the hashtag Traingate and even like Reddit's UK uh, Labor Party subreddit that I follow because I'm a nerd. Even they bought Traingate hook, line and sinker when it came out huh. it was really interesting it'd be funny if they took it to another level and they just like went into a train car with a bunch of people looking very comfortable and like man spreading while listening to adele or something <laughs> it's like look it's great <laughs> people love it here <laughs> well immediately like a bunch of people like posted pictures of being inside a packed virgin train and they're like y'all are full of shit this is awful <laughs> uh, well here at the uh, the lovely mta who has <laughs> never steered us wrong uh, but you get Twitter images of literally passengers' fingers poking out from the doors and oh, that are, sweat. Yes, yeah, sweaty that are palms. Steamed up while yeah, they're steamed up windows and sweaty palms and women in labor having panic attacks, and still no one does a thing. Like, well, some some uh, visionary on the New York City subreddit posted a long medium post on the case for privatizing uh, New York subway system. Because then the market will fix all the inefficiencies. Oh, like with its market monopoly. Fuck. It's basically private now, right? No, no. Far from it. No? Okay. No, it's just horribly mismanaged because... Well, banks have a stake in it, at least. Oh, yeah, there yeah, was the yeah. bankruptcy. Yeah, and like a lot of the money that... You know, the funding that would go to the MTA goes to the banks. And uh, Jacobin actually did a good piece on it and how a lot of... Uh, local media like the New York Post and shit end up blaming this on like workers demanding more it's like oh, oh yeah, it's, it's always about the unions. fat cat MTA operators <laughs> and that's the reason the J train isn't working on a Monday yeah which is like this has been a deteriorating situation for uh, almost two decades now yeah and Cuomo does not have any interest in fixing it from what we can observe yeah fuck him I mean the, the great thing yeah I- fuck you Cuomo <laughs> So, well, something about Corbin that I think is pretty cool is with he not only wants to nationalize the railways or renationalize them, but put them in um, control of the people who use them. So, like, if you 
you have a say if you're a commuter or if you're an employee of like how they're operated, how they function, what the times are, all that stuff. That's um, dope as shit. Yeah. Yeah. And people will listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's. And if uh, it doesn't work, you can vote people out of office uh, or the parliament. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and that's a much more appealing system to the modern electorate. It is. I'm preaching the choir here, but I like <laughs> yeah. it. It makes me feel good. Well, laugh. Do jazz. you guys think so? Do you guys think the the parliamentary system is more democrat, more or less democratic than the one we have here? Oh, more. You think more? Uh, I think the one thing that we definitely need is a House of Lords. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, yeah, it is. It is much more democratic. I mean, I guess it's. But on the other hand, it's basically. Uh, an electorate. It's basically if the House of Representatives ran everything. Do they have term yeah. limits? How how's that work? I don't there? think so. I, I mean, Corbin's yeah. been in the same seat since eighties, at least. Yeah, uh, he's been there forever. Yeah, but I mean, America is very much about the individual politician. That's kind of what campaigns revolve around. Not that it that isn't at play in in England, as we clearly saw, but it is in some ways almost more democratic to have a party that has a unified position, unified manifesto and campaign on that versus here where it's, yeah, there is a platform, but it's a more or less pretty diffuse thing that people can kind of decide to run for or against to, or it has its drawbacks, but it also has benefits too. So so you can kind of infiltrate different parties as DSA has talked about doing with the Democrats, also maybe the Republicans in 2018. We mentioned uh, a couple episodes with Jack Smith that there may be uh, someone in New York running as a Republican, but with a radical socialist uh, platform, but just to use their ballot line. Uh, so that that does, I guess, open the door to more possibility. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I like I kind of like the French system because at least with presidential elections, you get uh, a, a full slate and then uh, the two most popular ones go head to head. I do. One, one thing that's really interesting about the British system is how closed off the parties are, which is it's less democratic than some like American primaries. And I guess even like closed primaries, all you have to do is check a box online and then you can vote for a member of the party. Whereas in the UK, you have to like to become a member of the party. The party has to actually accept you. And there was actually a controversy when Corbyn was running for reelection when a bunch of people wanted to join the party and then they got rejected based right. on like their tweets. Entryism. Yeah. But then there's also like a set of responsibilities you have to carry out as part of the party. Um, to do like you know regular like footwork, uh, get out the vote, that kind of thing, which actually was pretty admirable. There was like someone I knew know who lives there on election day was just going door to door, getting like members of the Labor Party, like just reminding them to go out and vote. It's very inspiring, actually. I'm always concerned about the element of term limits and like because I I mean that that seems to be problematic in any in any government system, and then the argument against that is like well you know you you're in the government you learn how to write laws and stuff and that's why term limits are bad because then you have a bunch of freshman congress uh people who don't know what they're doing like well then maybe the solution is not 
maybe that's by design. Maybe the solution is to not make drafting legislation so monumentally confusing and not have to uh, draft lobbyists to write it up for you and whatnot. Right, right. That taints the whole thing. And I imagine if there were term limits, then what you would probably end up getting is people who would just space out their careers more, where they might work in, say, um, like a state government in different positions for a while before, like, trying to make a launch to a national job later in their careers. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. But... Um, ideally yeah yeah. ideally yeah yeah well i i I don't i'm against term limits just because i don't think it really gets to the root of the issue which is money you know that's true sure um which is not an issue in places some places in europe where you have publicly financed elections but uh we have iggy friend of the show matt iglesias we would unlike some other podcasts we are willing to have him on um, but he tweets like on election night, like the left thesis in the U.S. is Bernie would have won, not Bernie would have lost narrowly to Trump. That's what Hillary did. So saying that narrowly, yeah, she lost narrowly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like these people who are so obsessed with numbers don't mind distorting them constantly. <laughs> Yeah, it was not narrow elect in the in terms of the electoral vote, of course. Yeah, uh, which is what matters, you're right? Which I have to remind people of constantly. Yeah, it was which very is why close. it does not matter wh- wh- where I who I voted for in New York State, but why who'd you vote for, Anders? <laughs> you know, I it, the only re- sometimes I wish I would have voted. He wrote for in it. Grandma's friend. <laughs> I wish I, w- I kind of wish I would have voted for Gloria Lariva, who is the Party for Social and Liberation nominee. But yes, I did vote uh, as some of the other people in this room did for Dr. Jill Stein. I will say I don't regret it because I the reason I did it was to contribute to building a left, uh, b- building a party to the left of the Democrats, uh, which I think needs to be done. They're like demonstrating that there is an alternative and i think you know they're in some small way that does contribute to that interestingly there is a green party in the uk that has found a way to sort of uh where i mean of course this is because of the parliamentary system but they have find a found a way to work with the more progressive wing of the labor party and actually get things done but i I, and I remember watching the debate and wondering, like, why are these guys even around uh, the Green Party? Because, you know, especially with Corbyn in power or in, in charge of the Labor Party, like, it seems like they should be on the same page. But there seems to be more of a tension in places like England between worker movements, and labor movements and environmentalism that doesn't quite is, exist as much here. I mean, not that it doesn't exist, but like, it seems to me like over here... Okay, you're in a union. You're an environmentalist. We're in we're in the same shitty boat that's like been sinking for years, and we just have to band together. Whereas over there, the distinctions might be a little more stark. Well, over here we've got you know America's eight coal miners who are the most important employees in American culture, yeah, and uh, in, in American society, and they're li- they're at odds. It was fun watching the Greens at the British debates because or the green the Green Party co 
leader. Yeah. Because they have co-leaders. Because she looked just happy to be there. <laughs> like, she was, she had no illusions as to, like, their chances, but she looked like she was having a great time. Yeah. And it made a lot of points that were pretty good. But, like, yeah, it was, it was, I do, I definitely like their green party better than our green party. Right. That, like, uh... And I voted green because I didn't want my vote to count. Like in New York, if you just if you voted for Clinton, you know, you're just going to go in the pile of blue. It's already going to be a blue state. Yeah. So I voted for Stein just to like because I figure it's not going to jeopardize her chances in New York and it will send a message that people want to move left. Right. And I think the in the months uh, since the election, like the Green Party has not really rode this wave of uh, anti-Trump resistance. But groups like DSA have, and um, we have already used the Green Party because they are a party. We've used their ballot line in uh, in elections, and it is important to have a party out there that has like a ballot access and stuff. But you know, just because you vote green doesn't mean you agree with you just as probably most people who voted for Hillary Clinton did not agree with everything she has said or done. I feel the same way about the right. Green Party. Right. I, I love that demarcation is that like, uh, oh, well, I don't agree with everything Hillary did, but like because you voted for Jill Stein to push a progressive uh, party, uh, you are anti-vax, not that she's necessarily anti-vaxxer, but you're all for that shit. And, yeah, you yeah. support everything com- she yeah, has ever said in the same and way all that shit. Yeah. yeah. She actually won my vote when she tweeted that she represents the unrepresented and there was a picture of Harambe. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, if we do introduce uh, public funding for elections in America, it should be on who can raise the most Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, and because then we would weed out all the political normies and it would just be us versus the 4chan people. Yeah. And if we just built a coalition of very internet savvy uh, individuals, we could win. We would finally have an election that's console versus computer gamers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, Gary Johnson, oh, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the Xbox party. Uh, speaking of political normies and bad takes, this just in a live uh, tweet storm. Uh, I this is from Joan Walsh. I think this just happened. Oh boy! Wait, yeah. this is is she the Mother Jones lady who uh, uh, just uh, got unwoke? Yeah, she she tweets about Bernie people a lot. Uh, her and Joanne the nation, Reed. right? Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but like, uh, so she was uh, she was in some sort of thread uh, with Kate or Katie Halper, a friend of the show, and uh, Joanne Reed. It's out of context, but we'll get this. So, by the way, Palestinian is an ethnicity, and they are considered white in U.S. census. They face discrimination and hate, but racism is contested. Which dumbest <laughs> take of the year? Jesus uh, we, Christ. Yeah, and then then uh, someone replies, should we defend a Palestinian dude from a gang of Nazis by saying, actually, this isn't technically racism? To Joan Wall says, could you be any more stupid, really? And then someone says, he could be you. Oh! Which, premium burn. <laughs> that was, oh, uh, what was it, Rakaia uh, from... Yeah. Rakaya, uh, delete your account. Yeah, Rakaia Chomsedin. I'm not saying that right. Chomsedin. Chomsedin, yeah. But uh, yeah, good good, good live Twitter fighting, guys. Uh, if you are uh, disenchanted, I, mean, I mean, maybe listeners already know about this, but if you're disenchanted with like political satire or comedy, 
go on Twitter. All the best political comedy is having a, happening oh, on yeah. Twitter. I I don't know why anybody watches any of those shows I would love to write for if someone offered me a job <laughs> there and I totally would do it and I really love you guys. But yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff's happening on Twitter. Twitter's become this beautiful merging of just nihilistic forum like uh message board culture and then self-important journalists and then they have just kind of like everyone from something awful.com like got old <laughs> yeah, enough yeah. and got on twitter and then they just ran into journalists and slowly they became more and more relevant like with the chapo group yeah and it's like to the point where journalists can't ignore them and have to like put up with continual like well-earned vile yeah all the all the geeks in high school went to the gym because they had spare time and now they're meeting up with the jocks in flag hall and they and jocks don't know what to do about it <laughs> uh so uh to argue back what we were talking about uh matt Eby uh published a piece i think today in light of uh corbin's victory uh entitled goodbye and good riddance to centrism and there is a section there i really liked which is uh Through decades, pundits and polls have been telling progressive voters they don't have the juice to make real demands and must make alliances with more, quote unquote, moderate and presumably more numerous centrists. Uh, Voters for decades were conned into thinking they were uh, noisome minorities whose best path to influence is to make peace with the mightier, quote unquote, center, which inevitably turns out to support military interventionism, fewer taxes for the rich, corporate deregulation, and a ban on unrealistic, quote-unquote, giveaway proposals like free higher education. Those are the realistic, moderate, popular ideas, we're told. But it's a Wizard of Oz trick, just like American politics in general. There's no numerically massive center behind the curtain. What there is, instead, is a tiny island of wealthy donors surrounded by a protective ring of for-sale major party politicians, read employees whose job it is to castigate two demanding voters and preach realism. Do you guys feel like uh, larger, I, I guess, do you feel like more liberals are being swayed by this mentality that like, oh, maybe, maybe the, maybe centrism isn't the answer. Do you think it, the tide's starting to turn at all? I have hope. Um, we, we don't really have a lot of numbers to go off of, but. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the, the working theory that we grew up under that most people are quote-unquote centrist, whatever that that means. Like, I remember I was having an argument with someone when I was a teenage uh, Naderite, and they were saying, like, okay, well, if you put Nader in the debate, then uh, studies have shown that people are going to choose. So if you put someone, a conservative, a liberal, and then someone who's a moderate, then they're just going to choose the moderate. So... uh, Obama would win if you put um, Nader in the debate. And I remember thinking, like, what study? What are you talking? Like, who? What is this? The centrist is a meaningless phrase. All these things are basically meaningless. You know, the UKIP, who is this far right, very conservative party. They're so conservative, but then they also support not cutting social spending. Like, what? These things aren't. It's not this this the spectrum that. Um, yeah, how do you how do you base a study on something that's never been introduced to the public? Yeah, it was by the way. Also watching the debates, funny to watch the huge Kip guy just like on every topic, like watching the gears working into it in his head. Like, okay, how do I blame this on the Muslims? 
how do I argue against the Muslims for each like uh, healthcare? Well, the Muslims coming into like, <laughs> right, yeah, they they will take a uh, they will go full Christopher Hitchens if it means you know <laughs> becoming uh, atheists. So as long as it's anti-Muslim, the Muslims are a problem, and women aren't funny. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not relevant anymore. What? I love that Bill Maher is basically Christopher Hitchens if he like was a strip club owner instead of an author. <laughs> basically. <laughs> Like, I love that he's just shown his true... I mean, I guess he was always a piece of shit, but now he's just, like, boldly showing his true colors in that he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Did you guys watch the his uh, mea culpa with where he had three black people on and... Oh, <laughs> Michael Eric Dyson came on, right? Yes, who, of course, gave the fucking... Ugh. This this is something I've been following for a bit, is, is Michael Eric Dyson versus another... Uh, frequenter of the Bill Maher Cornell program, West. Cornell West, who they had a big dispute a couple years ago because Cornell West, rightly so, is very critical of Obama. And Dyson's biggest criticism is that, like, oh, you're undermining his legacy and he, oh, he's done a couple good things, which is all his, his whole argument is about Obama's legacy. It's not about anybody who's being. Clearly the most important aspect of his presidency. Yeah. Not how it affects people, just right. how, how people think it affected them. Exactly, yeah. it's Yeah, Dyson is the perfect guest to uh, help Bill Maher apologize for... Did he give Did he give Maher a retroactive N-word pass? Basically, yeah. Um, and then he had Ice Cube, who was great. Ice Cube was the best part of that episode. I watched the whole thing. Because I have like a subconscious fear that I will just accidentally spurt it out the N word someday. Whoa! And I'll get in trouble for it. <laughs> That's you know? your fear. Yeah, because I'm. It's it's like it's uh, a friend of the show, Hannah Boone, had this very good joke about how when she's like at a very high height, like at a skyscraper or Grand Canyon or something, she has this fear in the back of her head that she's going to jump off. Oh, sure. She has no reason to do it, but it's like you are capable of doing this, right? Uh, and I feel the same way about social things, and w- including offending people. But why do you think you're capable of doing that? Because I, I that literally a, am capable of it. That is a very it. strange thing to admit. I, I'm not, like, mad at you, but it, it's... What, what, what makes you think, like, that's the word you're going to spill out, though? It, because it's the most vile thing in... Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the worst things I could say. What you're saying is you're afraid... That one day you might quote Ice Cube lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think it's called the White Elephant Theory, uh, where uh, when you're told not to say something, all you do is think about saying that. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Sure. I think uh, yeah, like comedians when they have to do uh, clean gigs. I've only had to do one clean gig in my life, and it was a nightmare. And all I thought about that entire set was about all the swear words in my act that I could be saying. Right, and I, I ended up letting one out. At one point, uh, it was very minor, and I don't think anyone noticed. But uh, yeah, that's what happens. Uh, that I wouldn't take it to that extreme, but that's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. you so know what what's it's your like favorite? to be in my sunburned skin. I don't, and uh, maybe one day I will. <laughs> but what's your favorite uh, Ice Cube collaboration project? Uh, you know, when Say he was with was no this? acronyms. <laughs> Attitude having folk. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Billy Bragg project. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, attitude having folk heroes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, this is this is actually one of my favorite NWA songs. It, to think about because it, it's very challenging as a honky to listen to the song Black Korea 
because it's very racist against Asians from a black perspective mm. and it challenges you as a white person a woke white person to be like well uh, i don't know who to really ra- racism against asians was uh was widespread in early 90s rap too uh yeah like, i i wouldn't say i wouldn't say wu-tang was uh they were appropriating i would I call get, it appropriation you, yeah, you can say appropriation i not all of them i would uh, engage in racism but I, I i know some red man lyrics that uh would upset some of our listeners i think uh right. some method man lyrics that were very confusing to me when i uh revisited those albums recently to call uh there is a dark side check them out great albums but right. um yeah it is strange uh especially like being you know growing up hindu being an indian and you know being around islamophobia all my life and like you know, I had relatives that didn't want me to be friends with black people. I lived in Atlanta for three years. I would come home and be like, hey, I made a friend. And they, uh, you know, relatives would be like, oh, is he black? And I would say yes. And it's like, you shouldn't hang out with him anymore. Because there is a, it's, we've gotten really off topic, but uh, I like <laughs> it. Uh, there, There is this, um, there is this internalized racism within immigrants where I don't think I can't, I can only speak for my culture is they don't want to be seen as minorities. They do not want to be seen as the different disenfranchised group. So they will differentiate themselves from maybe Hispanics or black people, or uh, in my case in Minnesota, Hmong people. It's like, well, we're not like them. Right. We're the model minorities. And it sucks because it's just another way white culture uh, and institutional racism and you could say capitalism pits minority uh, powerless people against each other. Yeah. My grandfather, the one who was I mean, homoph- married homophobia in the black community and the Indian community is huge in the yeah. Indian community too. Oh yeah, yeah. like sodomy was illegal for years. Homosexuality was a criminal. Like Indian, Indian American. They're still have that, uh, that bigotry towards gay people? Oh, like in Indian culture? Do Indian they? American culture. Oh, Macklemore fixed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, fixed it, yeah. Amongst all cultures. <laughs> yeah, with white... Not with white privilege one, white privilege two. Yeah. What did you... How did you feel about that song? This is POC. White privilege two. Um, I didn't listen to it. I don't like it. I mean, okay. I feel... I feel like I probably feel the same way that most people do. Most people do, right? Like, it's kind of whack. What about Thrift Shop? <laughs> no, I yeah, I have See, no, I, I have no yeah. strong opinions on Macklemore other than I really just don't like his music. Uh, I I was really annoyed with like how many, and I I was like kind of in this like streak of nihilism when this happened, so I wasn't as politically engaged as I am now. When Same Love came out, do you guys that song about yeah, right? yeah. it's like hey I was gay and then I. Uh, I thought I was gay, and then I listened to a little Bow Wow. I was like, hey, why are you making fun of me? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. It. And um, uh, he just seemed like such a pandering front runner. It, w- it was that opportunistic woke bullshit, and it was probably yeah. the first wave of that. Uh, 2014, 2013, yes. that's when it was really starting to rise, and uh, a lot of w- prominent white people were like, oh, I can jump on this and look like a hero. And maybe that's not what was going through Macklemore's mind. I think it came from a genuine place, but like, yeah, all of these people who were heralding him as like a hero, and it was like, yeah, I like it because black, you know, hip hop is so homophobic. I'm like, yeah, sure, but it's about as homophobic as a lot of other music. You know, you yeah. you talk you talk about sexism, hip hop. Look at you know Led Zeppelin 
fucked a girl with a fish on a boat in the 70s and over sexualized women in all their songs oh yeah i was I, I went through like a very brief phase recently where i was like you know what i gotta check out the classic rock yeah. you know i like modern rock let's see what classic rock is i'm like oh it's it's all about fucking 14 year olds okay that's uh <laughs> yeah and literally a, too yeah across the board yeah. yeah yeah like i didn't realize how on the nose that spinal tap song tonight i'm gonna rock you tonight was when they have that line where it's like um you're sweet but you're just four feet and you still got your baby teeth but tonight i'm gonna rock you tonight yeah like they that is right on with like zz top and aerosmith and all of those guys yeah well guns and roses guns and roses had some like crazy racist song oh yeah that was just like yeah he just says the n-word in it he's like i don't he says the n-word I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he says the N-word. Um, I think it's called like one in a million. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, let's close. I don't know Frank closing, Zapatista, but... Uh, <laughs> closing remarks, guys? Well, I think racism is bad. And, oh, uh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, but, say racism is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, but that has been... We have see, to have a balanced <laughs> argument. Yeah. <laughs> One of the great things about the Labor Party victory is they have, well, not victory, close to victory, could be a victory, Pyrrhic victory. They have, the diversity has been a big, huge part of their uh, their agenda, and they've had MPs that were just elected, many of them disabled, uh, many of them people of color and women, and makes me think of Van Jones, his speech this week in Chicago for the People's Summit, and he was saying... That Dan Jones, friend of the show. He's been here. He hasn't been on. He's hang, He's actually hanging out right now. He's on his phone. Yeah, what up, In the man? corner. What up? And uh, he was saying, like, that um, something that, you know, I feel like some of us have been saying, which is that there's been this narrative that you have to choose between people of color, immigrants, or danger of being deported. You have to choose between them and the quote-unquote white working class who have, are living in these de-industrialized communities and that, in his words, this is the dumbest choice that we could be trying to make right now. Like, we don't have to choose between those two constituencies and we actually need both of them to work together to move past neoliberalism. And that's kind of my other closing thought. I think it's great that people find the phrase neoliberalism annoying. That is what I think one of the most positive developments of the past oh, couple of yeah, years. Oh, yeah, it's great. I'm glad people are getting annoyed by it. Yeah. It's supposed to annoy you. Because a couple of years ago, who was saying, who was using that term? I was using it incorrectly. Right. <laughs> it, like, not, yeah, the, same. Like, it was, you know, people in, in vegan bookstores and shit. I don't know what a vegan bookstore would be, but, you know... Not exi- not the mainstream. Now you have people yeah. who are l- like listening to the Young Turks podcast and shit while they're working a double at Seven Eleven and high on Adderall, and they're like complaining about neoliberalism. I think that is a great thing. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah, a lot of dumbasses are doing it now. Yes, and that's which is just, good. Which is a, a sign that a larger swath of people. And a lot of them are smart, are getting into it. It's like, well, if we can convince these idiots that something's wrong with this and they agree on a base level, then, yeah, something is something's going right. Like, even with the Bernie people, you know, a lot of people derided them for being annoying and, like, underinformed as if, like, every 
swath. Yeah, of- no, the Hillary people had a place to make that accusation. Yeah, right. they did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like as if other because, yeah, yeah the movements bull- don't have right. completely batshit people. Which- I, I think it was. Um, I made this point. I think. Uh, LA comedian Josh Androsky made this point. It's like, well, if we're going to judge candidates by their worst supporters, Hillary people literally invented the birther movements. Right. And this uh, last week, totally defended slavery. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm, I, I kind of sat that one out. I just like, <laughs> I can't do it with these people. At first, at first it was great until I realized how many of like my friends also joined in on that. Or, like, when I brought it up where I'm like, you guys think this is funny? They're like, no, it's not. And it's not slavery. And then I was like, ooh, okay. Yeah, a lot of it was... What I saw was a lot of it was deflection. It's like, we can talk about this, but... uh you know, mass incarceration is a serious problem. People like Jeff Sessions are pushing for increased incarceration. And it's like, I don't think anyone who knows about this doesn't know about the modern... uh prison industrial complex mm. i think everyone's you know everyone watch 13 or is that what it's called 13 yeah, yeah. Right? the new jim crow like yeah. every every uh phony woke normie got into that like right. yeah we're all well, well versed in that yeah but for some reason it still didn't stick they're like they're still like they were murderers and like yeah exactly yeah imagine yeah, like, if if it was jeff sessions whose mansion they were like, oh god yeah tending and to then, and yeah. you know i I bet you fucking anything six months from now, something like that will come up about Jeff Sessions or uh, any of those fucking ghouls and they will not stop talking about it. Yeah. Which they shouldn't, but they're also hypocrites. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Any, any closing remarks? guys? Oh, by the way, the song, the Guns N' Roses song is called One in a Million. Axl Rose... Who said the band tailored its image to appeal to white heterosexual nativist uh, prejudices, denouncing blacks, immigrants, and gays, while coyly apologizing to those who may take offense in the album notes. Uh, yeah. So wow. check it out. <laughs> and in a Rolling Stone interview, Axel Rose goes, I use words like police, <laughs> like police and N words. So he groups those two words together. Police? <laughs> police Wait, and a racial slur. Yeah, that's literally in the quote. I used words like police and N-words because you're not allowed to use the N-word. Why can black people go up to each other and say uh, N-word, but when a white guy does it, all of a sudden it's a big put down. Uh-huh. I don't like boundaries of any kind. I use the N-word because it's a word to describe somebody that is basically a pain in your life. <laughs> a problem. <laughs> The word the word doesn't necessarily mean black. Doesn't John Lennon have a song? Woman is the N word of the world? There's a rap group. Niggas with attitude. Oh uh, jeez. Alright. Okay, well, not saying yeah. that it's not trying to discount that, but I think it's a little bit problematic to not acknowledge that Axel Rose actually was a big contributor to the Clinton campaign. Um and so he can't really be judged. As harshly as another racist, because he, you know, of course, wants yeah, to get he actually a woman, yeah. yeah, yeah, to get a woman in the oval. He bought that N word, fair and square. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, um, we got a little off course, but I think it was great. And uh, go Corbin, yeah. yeah, go to boy. I, it looks October, right? October. Is, Hope so. Is when we're gonna do it. Red, ten Downing Street. We're gonna paint it red. Thanks for tuning in, the Left Chest. See ya.